The Gut Pharmacist Podcast with Riley Ramosco, traditional naturopath and holistic nutritionist. I am really excited about this episode because I feel that mold is highly overlooked and highly misunderstood. Today we will have an expert, Brian Carr. We will be going over all about mold inspection and the truths behind it. Because honestly, most inspections are not being done as efficiently as they could. Brian is the expert in inspection here. He is a second generation indoor environmental consultant who specializes in working with hypersensitive individuals with complex medical conditions. And he helps them to understand if mold, mycotoxins, or even other indoor pathogens may exist in their home and potentially be contributing to their health issues and how to remedy those issues. Brian is the co-founder of We Inspect and the creator of Mold Finders Method, the first ever comprehensive home inspection, private consulting, and training program for mold-sensitive people. You can find more information on Brian and what he does at yesweinspect.com, and I will also attach a few free resources. Now, before we get into it, I do want to mention that this episode will be mostly about inspection, whereas my old episode about mold and what it does to the gut will help you understand what it does to the body. So today is inspection. If you want more information about what mold does to the body, please refer to my older podcast. So let's bring on Brian. Welcome to the Gut Pharmacist Podcast. I have Brian Carr here. He's an environmental consultant and professional mold finder. I get so many questions about mold inspections and I work with mold all the time. While I know what it does to the body, I'm just not as well versed on the environmental area. So that's why I have Brian here to give us the truth about mold inspection. So thanks for being here, Brian. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. So give us a quick background. What got you into mold inspecting and then any credentials or background that you want to get into? Yeah, it's funny. Nobody like, nobody's a kid playing with their fire trucks. Like, hey, I want to be a mold inspector when I grow up. <laughs> right? <laughs> Just not a thing. Um, you know, like a lot of people who've kind of ascended in this space as being a voice, you know, for kind of what's happening everybody kind of has their own story on how they got there. Typically, you know, they were affected by it in some way. And that happened to me too. The, the thing that really kind of drove me in this direction though, is, is that I had a, uh, my father-in-law actually is who taught me everything I know. And I had someone to kind of lean on to help me show, to show me this stuff. So basically long story short, I had a leak in my ceiling. I was living in an apartment. Uh, I had a leak in my ceiling, basically had to dive out of my bed in order to not get hit by this pipe that burst oh, from the no. bathroom, right? So like like rolling on the ground or whatever. And um, sorry, it's this massive water issue, right? So so th this story is what so many people go through in some version of it. They they have somebody coming to handle. For me, it was a landlord. If somebody owns their house, maybe they have you know a, a, a national chain restoration company come in or whatever it is, right? And they come in like, okay, cool. We're just going to patch this leak and we're going to just drive this little thing over here and we're all good. You're all good to go. Well, the problem is, is that when you do that, you're not actually fixing the problem, right? And right. so in afterwards, for, for a period of time afterwards, I started having reactions to stuff that was going on in my space. 
and it started minimal and it kind of like got it got worse and worse it started then like skin stuff so i started getting like kind of like eczema type of skin flare-ups and then i started having i was starting to get forgetful and things like wow i'm like at that time i don't know 30 like this this no this is not what's supposed to be happening right now right, right. and so the, the the girl that i was dating who's now my wife um at the time just kind of started dating her and she's like, hey, you know, what you're talking about is really similar to some of the people that my dad works with. And her dad is somebody who does this for a living, right? Who's who's be, who's honestly one of the top names that there are. And his name's Mark Levy. So like if, if any doctors are out there, you know, that people are working with doctors or whatever. I mean, at this point, you could probably say me, but before me, there was him. Right. right. And so um and and anyway so she's like hey you should uh you should talk to him have him come check out your space and so he does right and you know the landlord had like a local inspector come in they do one air sample they say everything's fine they're out in a half hour mark spends four hours in my 800 square foot apartment wow um maps the whole thing out there's eight different source areas of mold issues that are in my space uh, the majority of them in my room where the issue actually happened, the water actually spread all the way to all of the walls and ran down all of the walls of my bedroom, but there was no visible staining. So nobody cared to look at it. Right. Lo and behold, I'm literally sitting in a box that is covered in mold all the way around. And that's why all this stuff started hitting me a lot quicker. But the local inspector said an air sample in the middle of the room and everything was fine. And this is where I saw what was going on. Right. And so anyways, he helped me kind of navigate the whole thing, right? So now we're kind of get that solution or that situation figured out. And I was actually looking for, I wanted to, to change careers at the time anyways. So I just wasn't really happy in what I was doing. And so it ended up being like, hey, what you did for me, this is amazing. I want to do this. This is so cool, right? He's like, all right, well, why don't you come shout on me, see what it's like or whatever. And then I see him do it for another person and another person. I'm walking, I'm following him in all these houses and apartments and stuff. Everybody's sick. All, most of them have been gaslighted by some other inspector doesn't know what they're doing. Most of them are being told that they're crazy and that this stuff can't be affecting them. You should take meds. It's insane. I'm like watching all this stuff go on. And it's like, one, I just had like one of these moments. I'm like, I, this, I got to I got to do this. Like, this must be why I'm here, right? This must've been what happened. This must be why I'm here and I'm, I'm going to do this. And that's kind of how it happened and how it started. And it's, it's been great ever since. Wow. So you were kind of pushed into it in a good way. It's your destiny. <laughs> so I'm thankful that you're here and you kind of touched on what some of your previous inspectors said. So my first question is not considering what you do, because what you do is very special and unique, but in what ways do most common mold inspectors look for mold well honestly they don't look for it i think that's the biggest problem mm -hmm. so you it's so funny like their title like they call themselves mold inspectors they literally don't inspect anything so right. first red flag if you have somebody's coming in that's like looking for mold in your space and they're not actually looking at stuff and all they're doing is putting an air sample pump up in the middle of the room and then they're pushing a button and they're leaving in 20 minutes you didn't have a mold inspection you had an, a, an air sample collected that has a 70% fail rate in the way it was collected. That's what you have. So if you're listening to this and you've had this thing happen and your person told you there was no problem, well, 70% 70 of the time there actually is a problem and they didn't really inspect your house. That is the biggest difference, right? And I, and I think a lot of times the, uh, 
the challenge with this industry, just in general, not only the people on like my side of the industry, but also the people that are out there trying to get somebody to come in and do something is that we're talking about this invisible thing that you can't see, right? So, but that's not always how people think about it. They think about it like if I don't have a whole bunch of black stuff all over this wall, then I don't have a mold problem because all the commercials that I've seen from Clorox and Tide and all the people that make their mold cleaning products, they put massive things of mold on walls. Why do they do that? Because you have to sell a product and you can't visualize what you're selling on ultimately what's an invisible inhalable thing that most people are, are impacted by. So you have all of these big companies that create this illusion that there's only a mold problem if it's like big and everywhere and then our spray can fix it, right? So we've kind of like been trained, this is what a mold problem looks like. That's not what, I'm, I mean, yeah, that is a mold problem. I mean, <laughs> right. Problem. But that's not what a real mold problem looks like, what a normal mold problem looks like. What it looks like is my baseboard's pulling off the wall a little bit for no reason. There's a little bubbling in the paint over here. Why does that look like that? There's, why is, why is my cabinet under my sink like warping a little bit? None of those things have visible mold on them, but that's what a mold problem looks like. Mm -hmm. And so that's why that's the inherent difference is that you don't have inspectors that are coming in and looking at every crack and every cranny and opening every sink cabinet and looking for the signs of hidden mold. They're walking in saying, do I see any mold? No, cool, check. Right. Put an air sample, 70% fail rate, but they don't know that. Cool. Says there's no problem. Out. And that's the inherent difference in what's going on. Yeah. And that's um that's been my experience as well. And I was quite disappointed. So it's good that you're getting the word out there. This is a very common misconception that I get from my clients and just in general. So a lot of people think that new homes can't have mold and that's usually the older homes. So can new homes have mold and how? Yeah, they can. I want to preface this because a lot of times when I start, because the questions that always get asked are like, can this be a mold problem? Can this be a mold? And I keep answering yes. And then by the end of an interview, it's like, I should just go live in the woods. Like there's, there's no escape. That's not the purpose, right? It's more about understanding what we're up against and kind of what the normality is of all of it. So then we can navigate it the right way, right? So that's really what it is. Can new homes have mold problems? Yeah, they totally can. So there's two main ways that a new place can have a mold problem. The one is the wood that they actually use to build the house had mold on, right? So there's a lot of times in a new house, it's not that the house had like a water leak or a flood or something that went on and then the mold problem was created. It's the wood and the lumber was sitting out in the front yard and it was sitting in the mud and it happened to rain that day or they were framing your house for two months and it rained 10 days out of the two months and they just left it there. And then all of a sudden you get mold growing on your stuff, right? It's a formula, it's water plus wood equals mold. I mean, that's what it is, right? So if you're building a house with building materials that have that there, then that's a problem. So then that brings up the question, well, what are you telling me, Brian? Like I can't go into a new house and like ever feel like I'm confident that there's nothing going on behind the walls. Cause the reality is like, I don't know what's in the framing behind this wall. I have no idea, never opened it. It was here when I moved in. So how do you know, right? The thing with this, and I actually do think that this is really important. I think when people understand or they connect the dots that a mold exposure is triggering a health reaction, right? They kind of connect those dots. Then it becomes in their mind, a zero sum game. 
I must have zero mold or else I will be sick, right? And it becomes very black and white in that way. And it's not really like that for most people. Some people on the super far end of the spectrum, that may be them. We're talking like the one percenters on that side of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. You can even have somebody that are really hypersensitive. But the thing about it is that our bodies are actually created to detox. They're meant to do that. The reason that it doesn't work, there's a couple of reasons. One, there might just be a genetic predisposition. Your body just wasn't made as well as somebody else's body to detox, right? Just like you got two cars that were made and one of them is not working as well as the other one because like the bolts weren't tightened as much or something, right? Mm -hmm. So like, so, so that's one way, maybe just structurally, genetically, you know, you just kind of got dealt a crappy card that happens to 25% of people. So the second part of it is when you were younger, you had an exposure to mold and it rewired the way that your body responds to future exposures. Your body views that as like a past trauma. When you are traumatized, reactions happen. So let's take like the mold stuff out of it. Let's say I was a kid who hasn't watched Dexter. You're a kid, <laughs> you saw your mom murdered in front of you in cold blood in a shipping container. He grows up, he's a serial killer. That's a trauma that changes the entire outlook that he has on life. He wouldn't have been like that if he wasn't sitting in a pool of blood when like at the beginning of the series, right? Mm -hmm. So he had a past trauma that completely rewired his entire body and how it works. And now he becomes a serial killer, right? That happens to us too. Now, not as dramatic, obviously, like we're not running out and, and becoming the Bay Butcher, the Bay Harbor Butcher or whatever. But what's happening is that our body's exposed to mold issues. It's like, oh man, I'm being attacked. I'm being attacked. I'm now going to change the way that I react to seeing these things moving forward a lot of times for the rest of life. So now if you even have a, a, a smaller exposure, that's not an excessive amount, your body seizes like, holy crap, this is what attacked me when I was five years old or 12 years old or whatever. And it remembers how to respond, right? So that's kind of the secondary way that it can happen. And then the third way that it happens is that you just, you, you're dealing with some other health condition that's taxing your immune system currently. And so your immune system just doesn't have as many soldiers to fight this other thing because it's fighting something else. So you're kind of like fighting a war on two fronts at that point. Example, you have Lyme disease and you're exposed to mold. Your body's fighting two different wars. Typically you're gonna lose because you've split your troops and you get hit from both sides, right? So that's just like, kind of like a war strategy, right? So that's like the idea. So this is why people react, okay? So when you get back to like a new house, the idea isn't that you can't ever be exposed to anything. If you think of your immune system like a funnel and you're exposed to stuff that triggers an immune response, right? Where your funnel is kind of shaped like that, right? So you pour in and it's not just mold, it's other stuff. It's chemicals, it's cleaning products, it's off-gassing from building materials. It's the food that you eat. It's like all that stuff. It's all mm -hmm. part of your body burden on what it needs to detox, right? You're pouring all this stuff in the top of a funnel it all comes through and there's a bottom of the funnel and it would all come out the funnel. As it goes down in that downward slant, as it gets more towards a point at the bottom end of the funnel, that's the equivalent of your body running its detox process, its drainage pathways, its whatever it needs to do to get it out, okay? Everybody has a different shaped and sized funnel. So somebody's funnel can be really harshly angled to where the bottom of it is incredibly tight, a super, super small hole. This is somebody, if you add up genetic predisposition, I also have Lyme disease and something like that. Well, now the amount that you could pour in the top of their funnel, it takes so long to get out. I could pour the same amount in their funnel as I can, let's say my personal funnel, which is not nearly that tight. 
I could be exposed to more and it will flow through my funnel quicker and it won't overflow out the top. Whereas this other person, because the hole is so tight at the bottom, the funnel fills up, fills up, fills up, and it overflows at some point. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the idea is never this zero sum exposure game. We live in a toxic world. There's no way around it. Like you are going to be exposed to stuff. It's all about reducing your overall load to where you can hit an equilibrium with your body. That's what it's all about. It's about trying to figure that out. And everybody is different on what that means. So does that mean I can't move into a new house and not know what's behind every single wall? What if there's mold on this piece of framing? What if there's mold on that piece of framing? Don't freak out about it that way. That's mm -hmm. not what it necessarily is. What I tell my clients a lot if they're looking to move, it's more about what does your current space look like? Even if you're moving, we need to do a full inspection and assessment of your current space because I need to know how much you're being exposed to. That's your baseline. Then wherever you go next, it better not be close to that. It should be less, right? Right. And if you can do that, then you're reducing load. And then, you know, the way you fix this funnel is two things. You pour less stuff in the top, that's reducing your load. And then you work on your drainage pathways and your detoxification process and like all the other things that's on the medical side of stuff to open the bottom of it so your detoxing becomes more efficient. And if you if you inherently put less in the top and allow stuff to come out of the bottom a lot faster, that's where people hit that equilibrium. So it's a combination of environment plus what you're doing on the medical side that's helping to counteract that stuff. Mm -hmm. Such a great visual and explanation there. Thank you so much. I kind of say the same things, but certainly not as expert and detailed as you did. So thank you for that. I usually say we can't avoid the parasites, the toxins, the viruses and all that. It's mostly just about individual terrain and reducing exposures as much as possible and trying to get your body to detox as best as possible. So you said that in a really uh, detailed way. So thank you. We've been talking about homes. So are there other places that mold could be like cars, workplaces, or other missed areas of mold? Yeah. I mean, listen, mold doesn't only live in your house. Mold is a thing that's existed forever. Right. Right. This is this a lot of times this is like the counteract. Like if I come in and, and we find a lot of things and you have like typically it's 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 the female that's kind of reacting quicker just because genetically and they have more fat and that absorbs toxins quicker. There's like oh there's like a lot of reasons for it. And then you have the you have the husband or the spouse or whatever on the other side, the male on the other side, and they typically don't react as quickly, right? So then you get like this thing of like we find a bunch of stuff. You know, the, the female in the house is sick. The male in the house is like, mold's been here forever. What are you doing? This isn't real, right? And you're kind of like getting right. this <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so it has been here forever. The difference is like when we were cavemen, we didn't have enclosed buildings that we lived in. There was airflow in our caves. There wasn't like all this extra paper and drywall and stuff. We wrapped ourselves around. Like there, there's so many differences that like your exposure load is just different. Um but uh, oh, I lost I lost my train of thought on the question. Oh, um, no, good. Other, you're, so hidden areas of places. mold. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, so you're asking cars, work, other things. Yeah, right? So we're talking about mold as a thing that's been around forever. It's not just my house. It can be in multiple places. There could also be cross-contamination that occurs. So cars, a lot of times, get cross-contaminated because you have an issue in your house. Mm. You go sit in your car. You're wearing your clothes. You bring something from your car. You know, from your house into your car, you put it in the back seat, you do whatever. So you can get cross-contamination in cars. What I try to do, because that can be very overwhelming for people. It's in my house. I brought it in my car. It's at my workplace, potentially. What the hell do I do? Again, I'm going to go live in the woods. And I feel like a lot of 
the conversations are around understanding like priority and and again reduction not not complete avoid avoidance non-exposure right like the goal is to avoid but it's never a zero sum like there's going to be nothing right so what i what you try to do is think about where do you spend the most time and then you create your priorities on how you address those based on where you spend the most time your house is where you spend the most time right it's also where all of your restoration occurs in terms of sleeping and kind of that whole process happening as well the house is the first primary thing to think about yes you may have an issue at work Yes, there may be some sort of cross-contamination in the car, but let's say your house, let's just say you work eight hours a day, you come home, right? And a lot of people work from home now, so it's not even for real, like it's actually more time cumulatively that you're at home. But let's say that's what you're doing. You're two thirds of the time at home, you're one third of the time at work, and then maybe you're like a collective, like two hours in that period in your car, right? So then you start thinking about like the amount of time you're spending in each place. Let's fix the house first because that's where the bulk of the time is, right? And if we start thinking about again this like balance of let's let's repair our body and reduce our exposure to the point where we heat where we meet it like an equilibrium with on both sides, then people can be potentially exposed to things in the future. I'm not saying everyone. Some people react really hard for a long time, but other people, and I would actually probably say most people fall into this. Once you kind of get your body fixed to a certain level and reduce your exposure to a certain level, you're now able to kind of do more normal things and not feel the mold hits as hard as fast, right? Mm -hmm. So that means if your house is in a better space and you've been working on your body and your healing and your detoxing and your diet and the parasites and all the things that go along with it, and you got all that into a good spot, and then you have to go to work Let's say you work three days a week in the office now instead of five, right? And you have to jump in your car to go to work or whatever. The percentage of time that you're spending in those other spaces compared to where you are in your current space might be like 80, 20 or something like that. Mm -hmm. So that effectively means that you reduced your exposure in, in where you spend 80% of your time to a point where you're balanced. You're going to see an improvement there. Now, how much it is is individual, right? But but to, to avoid the overwhelm that comes when you start talking about what mold can really be and this invisible thing is cross-contaminating everything. I just find it's really helpful to kind of like show it and think of it in kind of like these logical chunks like this so we can wrap our head around it and try not to have like the anxiety and the overwhelm take over because it's so easy for that to happen. Definitely. And I hear that all the time. Well, what the heck do I do? I'm just going to go live in the woods. And I tell them, well, mold is going to be there too. And even EMF towers are going to be there. So it's just, you can't avoid it. We just have to do the best we can. So another common misconception, we have all these cleaning products that are geared towards killing off mildew. Is mildew and mold the same thing? Or are they different? Tell us about mildew. It's the same exact thing. It's the same mm -hmm. thing. I don't know this for facts, but I'm pretty sure that the word mildew was made up by the big box cleaning companies so they can sell products that do different things. I don't totally know that. I have nothing to like stand on or I've seen, but I just feel like, I mean, they literally create entire campaigns around a word that didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden it's a thing and mildew is mold, but they start normalizing. Here's, here's the real damage that that has done. I get it. They got to sell products. You got to create market, like whatever. But the damage that that has done is this devalued the importance of quote mildew, right? To think that it's some sort of lesser thing that's not a problem. So now somebody inherently will look at something like, oh, that's just mildew. 
Now I inherently don't think that that's a significant problem. And in turn, this spray will let me just get rid of it. And then there's no like after effects or lingering effects because I have a product that was meant to get rid of a thing. And, oh, it's not mold. Mold is bad news. It's not mold, it's mildew. You can do this, right? It's, it's, it's unfortunate that that's kind of happened, but we do need to understand that they are the same thing. And mildew is just like a nicer way of saying it. Right. And then you say this all the time, but all those cleaning products, the number one ingredient is probably water, which feeds mold. <laughs> so there's kind of a contradiction there. So what is your general approach with mold inspection? And I know yours is super special, but tell the audience kind of what makes your inspection a bit more unique than most. Yeah. I mean, it's like super logical. Everything, everything that we've done when you sit down and look at it like, oh, that just makes sense once you understand how it works. Think of it this way, I use this analogy a lot. Mold's like a factory, okay? So, so if you're driving down the street and you see a factory on the side of the road, okay? You're gonna see a factory, there's gonna be a building. You can't see inside the building. You don't know what's in there. But there's smoke coming out of the top of the building, okay? That smoke creates air pollution. Let's say you live a half a mile down the road from this big factory that's pumping all the smoke out in the air. You walk into your front yard, you are now breathing the air pollution that was created by the factory, okay? So the air pollution is not actually the problem. The factory is the problem. The air pollution is the byproduct of that. That is your direct pathway to the exposure of the problem. So your it's not that the factory sitting there is causing your problem directly. It's that the fact that it's creating smoke and then it's coming to you, but at the end of the day, the reason the smoke exists is because there's a factory here. So that's the concept, right? So ultimately, the whole philosophy about how we how we go through and do things is you have to find the factories. Like, imagine I lived in uh, in this house. I didn't know where this factory is, but I kept walking outside and kept breathing all this stuff in. And then somebody came to my house. They drove up to my house and like, hey, I got the fix for this. We're just going to spray some stuff around over here. And then the then the smoke will magically not come to you anymore. Yeah, exactly. Like, like yeah. when you think of it like that, you're like, wait, that doesn't make any sense at all. Like the smoke is still coming. Like you can't just like keep pushing it away and think that that's going to stop it from coming, right? The only way to stop from coming is to go to the factory and, and fire everybody or bulldoze the whole thing to the ground and make it stop producing, right? So the big difference is we go through a house and instead of caring what's floating around in the air, honestly, I don't really care what's floating around in the air. I care what's settled on surfaces um, and we do dust testing to understand what's settled on surfaces. The reason I care about what's settled on surfaces, and there's a bunch of research, research studies that support this, is that surfaces are going to give you a more historical understanding of what's circulating through your house. Think of it. If you put an air pump in the middle of a room and take a sample for five minutes, which is what an air sample is, if I was in a room and completely still and not touching anything for like 24 hours. And then I like creeped in the room and I put this little air pump in there and I would like went away and I pushed the button. Nothing's going to come up on that sample. Right. If I was in like a four-year-old's bedroom where they're jumping on this furniture and they're like knocking stuff all over the place, I did an air sample in there. That's going to be different, right? It's only five minutes. It could be the same room. I could come in that room later and walk around and get a different result than I did the first time. Air samples are a snapshot in time and in an airspace that constantly changes. 
So for us to think that we can grab like something out of an airspace that's constantly moving and changing and only look at it for five minutes out of the course of, let's say, a 24-hour day and think you're getting some real data on what's going on, again, just kind of backtrack and try to think of it logically. I live in my house all day. I'm walking around. What I'm going to do is grab this much air, little bit amount of air for just a couple minutes, and that's going to tell me everything that's happening. Well, when you think of it like that, it doesn't make any sense, right? So dust collection and what's settled on surfaces, what you're doing is getting a longer term view, that snapshot in time, that five minute clock goes away. You could collect dust, a particle that gravity has brought down that's been sitting there for three months. And it gives you a better understanding of what's been moving and circulating over a greater period of time. And the other thing is that you can get much better data off of those tests too, which I won't dive super into. So, so when, when someone's like, what am I being exposed to? It's never an air test in the middle of a room. It's a dust sample from the space because that is what gets popped up into our breathing zone on a regular basis. It's called the human cloud effect. It's another research study that talks about this. You walk into a room, anybody who ever watched Charlie Brown, there was that really dirty kid that always had that cloud of dirt around him. Mm -hmm. Everyone is <laughs> We do that every step that we take in our house, except it's not visible dirt that's flying around. It's invisible cloud of microscopic particle that you can't see. So at, everywhere that we go, we are creating exposure from just being alive, walking around, sitting on your chair, sitting on your couch, bumping a table, you're popping it up and you're breathing some that's your exposure path. So when someone's like, what am I being exposed to? The answer is dust collection samples and you get a more definitive view of that. Now, that's just the smoke piece. That's just identifying in our factory analogy, what's the composition of that smoke that we're breathing? That's what a dust sample is in the house. But now we got to get to the factories. Where are the factories? This is where the real inspection comes in play. We probably spend, I would say on average, four hours, four to five hours in a house going through a house opening wow. up every cabinet, looking in every room, every closet. And what are we looking for? Some of the stuff I talked about at the top. It's not, is there visible mold all over the place? That's easy to find. It's, is there a little bubbling in the paint? Is this floorboard warped for some reason? Is this, in, is this area inconsistent with this area over here? Why is it inconsistent? Why would it look that way? And I call these the five signs of hidden mold growth, these signs of water damage, because what they are really telling us, again, we can't see mold, most of it is behind the walls. Like that factory, all the people are inside the factory. I can't see all of them, but those are all the people creating the smoke, right? As I walk in a house, the same thing. I can't see what's behind all my walls, but if I see a clue that there might be a factory there, then I know that I can test directly at that spot and validate if there is a factory there. So for example, if there is bubbling paint underneath a window, let's say, well, paint bubbles, mostly because there's moisture that's causing it to bubble up off of the surface it's on. That's a, a sign of water damage. We know that the signs of water damage are kind of the red flag clues that there might be a mold source hidden somewhere. So the way that I would look at that, I wouldn't just look at that. So, okay, there's bubbling paint in this window. I'm going to take, I'm going to go step four feet over here and put an air sample in the middle of the room and think it's going to tell me what's going on. That's where that 70% fail rate comes from that I mentioned, because I did this for a year and every house I went into, because I wanted to prove this, in that example, I did that. I walked four feet away, put an air sample up. But the other thing I did, which is the real way to do it, I did was called a wall cavity test in the wall. Put a little hole in the wall about the size of a Sharpie pen, put a tube through the hole, and then attach that to an air sampling pump and collect air from behind the wall, directly where the bubbling was on the front side of the wall. 
Okay. That's how you identify where the factories are. And over the course of the year that I did that, 70% of the time when there was an actual source problem in the wall, the air sample said there was nothing. So that's where that number comes from. Wow. So that, that's the difference in how we go through an inspective space. It's all about where is the source. It's no different than medicine, root cause. It's the exact right. same thing. What is the root cause of the exposure problem? The root cause is wherever the mold sources are hidden. The exposure problem is the dust piece. You do have to address both of them, but you have to know why it started in the first place. Otherwise, it's going to keep happening. Yeah, and I, I also look for the root cause as well. So we kind of do the same thing in different ways. I love this. And a lot of people like to, quote, clean mold with bleach, peroxide. What's the problem with doing that? The problem is that mold grows, it has roots, it grows into things. Most of it actually starts in the backside of building materials and kind of works out to the front. So visually, think of it this way. Think of mold like an iceberg, okay? Cleaning mold is the equivalent of chopping off the top of the iceberg at sea level, so you don't see it anymore, okay? Let's say the Titanic's rolling by, Right. Let's say they even, and you cut off the top of that. I mean, they even saw it and couldn't get around it. Right. Cause it was right. that big of a problem underground. But if you didn't see it and just ran straight into it, that thing is going down even faster than it did because the problem in it's in a lot of times in a larger portion of it is still there and it's still hidden and it still works its way out of those building materials. So a lot of times what happens when you just clean the surface, you're getting rid of the visual. Okay. You feel better because you don't see it there anymore. Right. The problem is there's likely things behind the walls, under the surfaces. I mean, showers are such a good example of this. If you have mold growing in your grout in the showers, grout is porous. Water is getting into the grout. That's why mold is growing in the grout. Do you think the water just stopped at the grout and didn't go behind the tile? I mean, probably not, right? So then we start cleaning the grout in our showers and we think when it's clean that there's no chance that there could be a mold problem anymore. I'm not saying every time there's a little issue in grout, there's a mold problem behind. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you have to think through the path of where the water would go. And if it's getting into the grout, it's reasonable to suspect it could be getting behind the grout too and behind the tile, right? So then if you clean off the front, you could potentially solve a mold problem behind the tile, right? And so that's like an example cleaning the front versus what it could be doing in the back. So Brian, do we have to remove all those things with mold or how do we address, how would you address that? So in a way, yes. But again, this is one thing. It's like a clipper. Hi, Brian said I had to cut my whole house. It's not necessarily the thing. So the proper way to address a mold problem, there's only a couple surfaces that can be cleaned. Surfaces that are solid. It's the only types of surface that can be surface clean from a mold problem. Glass, metal, things like that, right? Anything that has any sort of porosity to it, semi-porous or porous things that mold is growing in, it grows into the things, okay? So you could wipe off the surface and that's fine, but the same thing happens that I just described. So the thing is, yes, source removal is really the way, the best way to handle this stuff, right? Now that doesn't mean if we go into a house and we find 15 things going on in a house and you have a remediation that is 15 different areas, it doesn't mean that every area is like equal, right? It just means there's 15 things that we found. Part of this process and the reason you test stuff is to then have conversations later on where we start talking about priority, right? 
not everybody has $200,000 and built the whole house and start over, right? And you shouldn't have to, right? And again, we talked earlier, you might not have to because all you're trying to do is hit equilibrium with your amount of exposure and how your body's reacting. So you might not need to do all of it, right? But what you want to do is focus on the areas that are the worst because that will be the biggest impact on your exposure and that whole balance that we were talking about. So when we do sampling, let's say there's 15 things, the next thing we start talking about with clients is priorities, tiers, start kind of tiering out the areas of these, these areas are like the worst of the worst. This is maybe the second tier. This is maybe the third tier, right? And then you can start going down and breaking it out that way and kind of guiding people down that road. Awesome. Okay. And then what are some ways, just quick ways that we can prevent mold in our homes and our workplaces? It's just being aware of water, honestly, like mold doesn't exist without water. Our whole house and building is built of mold food. So like you can't really escape that piece of it, but it's being aware of the moisture and the water issues that are going on. The easiest thing, I mean, anywhere that you have water sources, just be aware of those places, look at them regularly. Are they, do they look different than they did before? Do they look different than something three feet over the other way? These are all things that can show you that there's a potential problem there. But then you start thinking, okay, how could I prevent something like this from happening, right? Instead of just watching it, how do I stop it from happening? So for example, like an area under a sink, you have a drip coming down and hitting the cabinet under the sink, gets in the cabinet, causes a problem. So like one thing that I've done is that I have basically like, like rubber kind of um, like sink protectors under every one of my sinks. So that way, if there is a drip or there is something that goes on, it gets stopped. It doesn't get to my cabinetry. It doesn't cause a mold problem, right? showers if you have stuff coming out of your tubs and think about oh how can i keep water from coming out when i'm in the shower is it a different type of door is it being more aware aware of where the curtain is placed things like that okay thank you and then so you do inspections locally obviously do you have any resources to help people virtually like connecting them with other inspectors where they're at we are everywhere we are actually not local we're a national a national company so what we've done is that we've placed inspectors that I've trained myself in different areas of the country, and then they will fly to wherever they need to go. And all of their inspections are actually kind of streamed back to our home headquarters, where our lead consultants essentially guide the entire process along with our field inspector on site. So no matter where you live in Timbuktu and Omaha and wherever you are, we go everywhere. So yeah, that's, that's definitely the way that we do it. Awesome. Good to know. So everyone across the nation can get your uh, amazing services. So you gave us some great information that many people will benefit from. So my audience, please use Brian's resources. There's so much free, valuable information. And there's also an EMRI code to help you understand what your tests show. But again, that's only one part of the whole picture. So if you need help with mold illness, I work in this area all the time, but Brian does inspections, So that's a huge part of it. But thank you again for being with us, Brian. We really appreciate all this information. Yeah, thank you so much. And if anybody has anything, they go to yesweinspect.com. We can set up phone consults through there. Perfect. Thank you so much, Brian. Take care. Thanks. Hey there. Thanks for listening. You can find me on Instagram at gutexpertriley, on Facebook at The Gut Pharmacist, same spelling as this podcast, on YouTube at The Gut Pharmacist, and my website is holisticriley.podia.com. 
where you can find information on working with me, my background, and more helpful information to feel empowered in your journey.